Halloween is the time of ghouls, nightmares, and horrors aplenty. However, what terrors await when Netflix's multi-million dollar man serves up a horrific nightmare of ghoulish humor and invites all his buddies along for the ride? Find out as we attempt to prove to you that Hubie Halloween is not that bad. Welcome, welcome everyone to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And I need to say up front that I am recording this show in protest. Why? <laughs> because we are covering Hubie Halloween. I have dreaded this day since mentioning this. I think when we did our grading on a superhero or grading on a curve episode of superhero movies, that this day would eventually come and we're finally here. And joining me in this horrific Halloween episode, A, we have my lovely wife, Carrie, sitting across from me. Carrie, how are you doing? Hi, I'm great, and favorite holiday is upon us, Halloween. So excited to be talking, Hubie Halloween. And Carrie brought in a ringer because also joining us from Movie Date Night and Moral Combat is Greg. Welcome back to the show for, I think this is what, you're now fifth time appearing on the show. Greg, yeah, it's me. <laughs> Greg, at this, at this point, you're now family. You can move in. It's all good. But yeah. Now, you have been super stoked to record this episode. What is it, Greg, about Hubie Halloween that has you just, you know, bubbling for joy? I'm going to start off by saying for that intro, how dare you? Second of all, (laughs) um, listen, Adam Sandler films are wonderful, the serious ones and the funny ones. And the, okay, the only exception I will take is the one that you and Carrie did do. uh, What was it? The Ridiculous Six, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Um. That one, okay, I agree. It's it's bad. It's maybe not that bad, but it's still bad. But this one is fantastic. This came out 2020. It's only two years old this year. And already it has become Lauren and Mai's regular like part of the rotation for Halloween movies. It's up there now with Hocus Pocus, with um with uh uh Nightmare the Nightmare Before Christmas, and it's even up there with and Kids, write this one down because I doubt many other people have heard this one. Arsenic and Old Lace. If you have not seen Arsenic and Old Lace, it is a fantastic old black and white movie about Halloween. It is hysterical. Go watch it. But this movie gets into that top five pantheon for us. I'm not going to lie. I have never heard of Art. I think I actually might have, might have heard of it, but I've definitely never watched it. So I'll have to put that on the... Uh on the list of things to watch. But It's good. It's, it's one of those ones where it was originally a stage play stage production and then they made it into a movie so the way the characters move around you can tell like oh it's clearly like they just made one set and they're just like going in and out of doors but it's hysterical it's got um oh i forget his name the the guy from uh it's a wonderful life what's his name i don't know the name but i know the guy you're talking about yeah it's got him in it and it's, it's a fantastic movie go watch it the only thing that's weird is the very beginning it for some reason has like a 30 second check-in with the dodgers like like an actual baseball game that has nothing to do with the movie, but then the rest of the movie's fine. <laughs> Which at this point in time, this being 2022, someone needs to do a check-in with the Dodgers because they ain't making it to the uh, <laughs> to the championship series. Uh, and Carrie, I know you love this film, and I know your taste in movies has been um, 
put into question on this show before many wow. times. So I'm going to ask you, what is it about this film that got you excited about this? Aside from the chance of bringing Greg back on the show. Well, I mean, aside from the obvious, right. welcome back, Greg. So glad you're <laughs> here because I need your help because <laughs> I I am so excited to defend this movie because not only do I love a good Adam Sandler flick, but I mean, this one was just so fun and it's so, it's so rich in the Sandler verse of talent that he brought on board for this. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm ready to, I mean, to defend. The second I saw Maya Rudolph, I'm like, hell yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I love a good Maya Rudolph. And a Tim Meadows? Come on. Can't go wrong there. Okay, you say that about Maya Rudolph, and I, I, I have nothing against Maya Rudolph, but I still, still, to this day, have not forgiven her for Away We Go. Nor have I forgiven oh, Carrie I for picking that Away one. We Go. <laughs> Wow, that's oh, that's a rough one. I gotta remember that one. <laughs> okay, but before we get into dissecting Hubie Halloween, it is time to take this Adam Sandler Halloween special and trailerize it. One man armed with only a thermos that has more gadgets than Batman's utility belt, a bicycle, and the ability to dodge anything, sets out to prove one thing, that Salem, Massachusetts has the worst population ever. Seriously, is there anyone in this town that's not a complete a-hole? Adam Sandler stars as Hubie Halloween, a character that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that watching a movie with closed captioning is sometimes necessary. He's out to poop on everyone's Halloween hijinks like a bedsheet with rules and safety tips. He's the walking embodiment of a Saturday morning PSA on the end of a cartoon that everyone went to the bathroom during. But he will not be deterred. He will not be stopped. And hopefully, he will not have a sequel. Hubie Halloween, rated PG-13. For pathetically goofy. Oh, harsh. <laughs> I, I just call it like I see it. I'd like to strike that one from the record. Wow. Objection. <laughs> leading the witness or leading the audience. <laughs> I, I'm, ju- I'm just sitting it, putting it out there that I feel like the odd person in the room here by uh, doing this, you know, admittedly, you know, hopefully in the, in the, in the, the quest to find some good points here, but luckily I have you two with me here. Uh, this movie stars Adam Sandler, Kevin James, Julie Bowen, Ray Liotta, Steve Buscemi, Rob Schneider, Tim Meadows, Maya Rudolph, Michael Chiklis, Keenan Thompson, and Shaquille O'Neal. But there is an almost starring. Now, if you made it to the end of the film, congratulations, Achievement Unlocked. Uh, This film is actually dedicated to the memory of Cameron Boyce. Uh, He was also in Grown Ups and Grown Ups 2. He was slated to appear in this film before his passing in 2019. Um, Honestly, it was really, really sweet to see them put that that, uh, dedicated to at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that probably hit them pretty hard. Um, It was directed by Stephen Brill, uh, who's also known for directing... You know, Sandler films like Little Nicky, The Do-Over, and Sandy Wexler. Uh, this movie, aside from, you know, 
terrorizing me every time Carrie says, hey, it's Halloween, which was, you know, let's watch Hubie Halloween. Uh, Elena Pinto, who was the news anchor in this, uh, probably has a different reason why she doesn't like this movie. Because according to IMDb, this was the film that got her fired from Boston Station WHDH because her appearance violated her exclusivity contract with the station. I, I I just wonder if it was not a Sandler film, would they have fired her? I'm just curious. Wow. I'm just putting it out Can there. Can I just say boo, boo, thumbs down. Curse you, WHDH. Not <laughs> yeah, like, cool. I see lots of other real life news anchors appear in movies. Like being that I live in Southern California, whenever they have a movie that's based in LA in a modern day setting, there's always real life news anchors on those little quick news bits. Like when they were doing the... Um, the news uh, blurbs in Airheads. Those are real life news anchors in the real life studios that they were using. Just they probably paid them like five thousand dollars. Okay, read this for thirty seconds, and we got it. You know, so I don't see why that would be in a contract that she can't appear in another movie. I I have to say, and then this is you know one of those little things I've always wanted to do was, you know, I I make no bones about the fact that I have probably zero acting ability whatsoever. But if the opportunity ever came to be a news anchor or news reporter in a movie, sign me up. You don't even have to pay me. Just, just you know, give me a meal for the day and I'm good. That would be, that would be a ton of fun. Um, this movie uh, had no budget listed on any of the websites that I checked. And of course, no box office because of course it went straight to Netflix. This was a part of the massive deal that Netflix signed with Adam Sandler. And he, of course, has upped that for another four movies since that initial deal for like 250 million dollars but also look at the time that it was released like in 2020 we weren't going out for halloween like nobody Mm -hmm. was so um i mean like do you think that it would have changed the scope if it actually had a theatrical release if anyone was actually not in you know covid lockdown actually that's a great at the point. time i don't think it would and i say that because this was part of adam sandler's netflix exclusivity deal so these films were designed and made exclusively for netflix so i don't think it would have gotten a uh a theatrical release at all maybe possibly it's hard to say, but I mean, let me take, let me tackle that from the other side. Cause Carrie brings up a good point about like the time it came out in mm-hmm. at that time, Halloween and trick or treating itself took a massive hit in popularity because, you know, we were still kind of maintaining social distancing and all that. But this movie shows people out in force to go trick or treating. It shows all the fun things. It shows trick or treating. It shows a Halloween party, you know, like uh, outdoor festivals and activities, one of the things that I always like about Halloween movies is when you see things like this, kind of like the dream of what Halloween can be. Because honestly, for me growing up, like, yeah, I did trick or treat in some of these activities, but it was never on a scale like this. So I think one thing that really helps this movie, especially is showing Halloween on this scale. But at the time it came out where Halloween was like at the most minimal it's ever going to be. That's an interesting point because you see there, there's going to come a time you know, probably, you know, like in 10 years time or something like that, or maybe 15 years time when movies and TV shows that were released, you know, from 2020 to probably this year are going to be looked looked at in a sort of almost time capsule kind mm-hmm. of kind of reference because you had some shows that were out and out there. They had their people wearing masks and whatnot. And, 
uh, people are going to have. There is. There's going to be cultural studies in the media released during the pandemic. And I'm sure that this is one of those films where you could probably, you know, understand, you know, especially in the thick of it, because this was going into like that, that big first flu wave of the pandemic. And people were a little gun shy about being around people. And that first Halloween was probably quite the letdown for a lot of people, a lot of parents, especially too, with kids, right? Like, you know, we've got kids and, you know, obviously they, they didn't go a trick-or-treating that year. So we, you know, we had some Halloween fun at home and, you know, as much as I am probably going to crap on this film, sorry guys, I am going to do my best to find good things to say, but I will say that it was a welcome reprieve during the pandemic to have a movie that is, you know, this silly, this fun, you know, our kids actually liked it. The fact that it's rated PG-13 and not rated R made it accessible for them to watch. Um, I have to say, for an Adam Sandler movie, given the time it was released, this was probably a tonic for people, you know, for what they were going through at the time. Yeah, completely concur. I think it it helped alleviate some of what we were missing. You know, I think if you're homesick, nostalgia for certain activities you used to do back in your own hometown is one of the greatest uh, alleviates for that. And this is kind of the same deal. We couldn't go out trick-or-treating, so let's watch other people do trick-or-treating. Let's watch other people do bobbing for apples. Let's watch other people go through a haunted house, which might all be activities that we love. So I think this definitely came at just the right time for us to live vicariously when we couldn't physically at all through these activities. Now, when it came to accolades for this film, the, this was a mixed bag here. It's an Adam Sandler film, so you have to think that the Razzies are going to take notice. And at the 41st Razzies, uh, this film was nominated for three different awards. Uh, Sandler, of course, was nominated for Worst Actor. He lost to Mike Lindell for the pillow fluff of a film that was called Absolute Proof. Um, I don't even think I've heard of that film. Jeez. <laughs> well, it has Mike Lindell, so count me out on that one already. Uh, mm-hmm. He was also nominated uh, for Worst On-Screen Couple with Sandler and his simpleton voice. They lost. They lost. <laughs> I know. I couldn't stop laughing when I read that either. <laughs> they lost to Rudy Giuliani. So nasty with their categories, man. Jeez. Oh, oh, when you see who won, though, because the, the winner of that category was Rudy Giuliani and his zipper in Borat 2. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then this movie was nominated for Worst Prequel remake ripoff or sequel because they list this as a ripoff of earnest scared stupid what mm-hmm. i don't know this move okay this movie is essentially like a reference fest here's this throughout the entire film there's a thousand references to all the previous m Sandler films as well as a ton of halloween films so i don't think it's right to just single this one out and say oh it's earnest scared stupid like the grandma has the Halloween pumpkin mask next to her. So I could have said, oh, it's a season of the witch. Or, you know, there's a thousand other things I can point to and say, like, oh, it's clearly uh, a reference to the longest yard because Adam Sandler has a picture of Burt, Burt Reynolds in his room. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like how well, far do you want me to take this? Well, oh. since, since we're making comparisons, um, very similar to his Canteen Boy sketch from Saturday Night Live and oh also, also the Water Boy. Like that mm-hmm. movie came on TV not too long ago. And I said to Jay, I'm like, 
okay, there's almost eerie parallels between these two movies. And I don't know, maybe it was just that it was Adam Sandler, but it it really kind of struck a chord with me that I'm like, hmm, <laughs> Hubie Halloween, was it, I don't know, inspired from the Waterboy character or was it more like Canteen Boy or where, like, you know what I mean? You're kind of seeing almost the same, I don't know, re-recycled, Adam Sandler characters. Mm-hmm. I, I will say that okay. this film did lose, by the way, to the remake of Doolittle, which I don't which know. Which I saw in theaters, by the way. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't mind that film. I didn't mind that film. But, the accent was weird, but besides that, yeah. Well, true. But to Carrie's point with the whole like kind of remaking thing, I recently stumbled upon this show. I think it was on HBO. I'm trying to look up the name of it right now, but it stars Matthew Berry. And if you guys don't know who Matthew Berry is, if you've seen um, either Toast of London, IT Crowd, or What We Do in the Shadows, um, he's this great British actor who has a very, um, what's the word? I don't want to say ostentatious, but a very pronounced way in which he acts and speaks. Um, and there's this series that he did in like early 2000s, like 2004, 2005, called Dark Place. And in there, he's doing kind of the same thing, but it's more toned down. I was having a conversation with Lauren about it the other day, and we think what it must be is that as an actor, when you go through and you find something that works, you're like, okay, that worked, but what did I do that worked? And then you kind of experiment and you evolve it further. Um, you know, I've had friends who were actually stand-up comedians, you know, minor league, but like still like they would go out to like and get gigs and like, you know, get paid, you know, essentially in like drinks and like maybe a hundred bucks per show. But what they do is they would film themselves and then afterwards review the tape, like where did people laugh? What did I do to make people laugh? And so something like Matthew Berry, if you watch this Dark Place thing, he's very much like a 50% what he is in the IT crowd because he's hitting those like, ah, kind of notes, but not as hard. So I think- just like with Adam Sandler and like how you're saying with the, the canteen boy and the water boy, I think he found something that worked in canteen boy elevated to water boy. And here is kind of the, the next stage in the evolution of that comic vein that he's trying to tap again and again. So I think it's an, it's fine to have like the natural progression of like, okay, what's, what if we tweak it this way? Does it still work? Trying to find out like the tangible definition for the intangibility of comedy. And I think, too, that that's, I completely agree, but that's kind of the charm of Adam Sandler is his, I don't know if I want to call it like a simpleton kind of character that he plays. Um, I mean, definitely, you know, little Nicky was kind of (laughs) out of the realm of, of that type of character, but still like he, it it was, it's just so, I don't know, it's, like you can't help but I don't know feel for him or be taken with him it's it's kind of like a a, a bit of a charm it's the Adam Sandler charm so you could almost describe his characters as beautifully broken in yeah a way. <laughs> oh I love that poor Hubie <laughs> now that being said it's not all doom and gloom for the accolades because this film was nominated for two 2021 Kids Choice Awards. Uh, Adam Sandler was nominated for favorite movie actor. He lost to Robert Downey Jr. in Doolittle, uh, and the movie Ooh. and the, the movie was nominated for favorite movie. It lost to, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Wonder Woman '84. Uh. Right? Like, trust me when I say Wonder Woman '84 
probably qualifies for the show and i'm sure somewhere down the road we're going to have to go down that road because that, that I, movie, I couldn't get through it i have nothing good to say about that film. i'm sorry <laughs> yeah I no would not be a guest on that no no and no uh but here's what we're talking about this film is the critic score Overall Metacritic, it has a meta score of 53. And on Rotten Tomatoes, the, tom- the tomatometer is 51%. The audience score is lower at what? 43%. Uh. Now, this this baffled me. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Like, I will be the first to fully admit that I do appreciate that Adam Sandler and his movies have their fan base. I get it. I don't get it, but I get it. But to see the critic score higher than the audience score. So I I took a look down his filmography on Rotten Tomatoes. And only using films that qualify for this show. That means a, you know, 50 or 60% or less. There was only one where the critic score was higher than the audience score of films that would qualify for this podcast on Adam Sandler's filmography. And that was Murder Mystery. That has a tomatometer of 44% with an audience score of 43. In every other film, the audience score is higher than the critic score, which I would I fully expect on an Adam Sandler film. This one and Murder Mystery are the only two on his entire filmography of films that qualify for this podcast where it's reversed. And that surprises me mm-hmm. because I, I I know how passionate you two are, are about this film. So what is it that the audience doesn't get that the critics get? I can't believe I'm even saying that. Carrie, I'll let you take this one first. Hmm. Um, you know what? It. I don't know. I, I mean, again, I like it so much that I would tend to disagree even with the 51% that the critics gave it. Um. I mean, I don't know. And again, I wonder and I draw back to is that maybe because it was a Netflix release and not a theatrical release where you can kind of get more of a, I don't know, almost like a wider wider audience, Mm -hmm. right? Because we're dealing with the Netflix specific audience, if, if that's... There, there is Any a different. I don't know, but there is absolutely a stigma between movies that are really straight to streaming and movies that are not necessarily. You know, they have either a th- limited theatrical release or they are in theaters and then eventually make their way to streaming. I, I think because there's so many options with Netflix that you know, like if I mean, it's it's just so easy that if a, if a movie doesn't take you in the first twenty minutes, that you could switch channels, mm-hmm. right? Like. And, and I think this movie, you really have to see it out till the end to get the message that they were trying to put down. So mm-hmm. if that's the case, then maybe the audience had missed, uh, like, you know, they missed the point. They missed the, 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 the beauty of this movie. Mm-hmm. Greg, your thoughts on the audience being less than the, the critic score? I, I think... We have to zoom out a little bit in order to see what's going on here. I think I, I saw this thing online and I kind of think there might be some credence to this where it said that um, you remember Adam Sandler did Uncut Gems and I think it's 2018 or 2019. And that was a more serious role that he does. And there's a history of these 
comic actors, especially 90s comic actors like Jim Carrey, uh, you know, um, Robin Williams, where like they, oh, funny man, funny man, funny man, top of Hollywood, top of Hollywood. And then they get really tired of just being laughed at or like just being the butt of the jokes all the time. So they try to do something serious. Like, for example, Jim Carrey, it was The Majestic and The Truman Show. For Robin Williams, it was things like One Hour Photo and Insomnia. And when those don't land, they typically then tend to swing back and go towards comedy again. So, like, for Jim Carrey, I remember, I think it was after The Truman Show and The Majestic, he went back to, okay, fine, Mr. Popper's Penguins, here you go. And that's kind of what seems to have happened here with Adam Sandler, where it almost seems like this movie is like out of spite for not being nominated for uncut gems. Mm -hmm. He's like, Oh, so me doing a serious role and doing you like my actual, like full extent of my acting abilities. None of you took any notice of that fine here. I'll give you what you want here. This is the same stuff I've been doing for year in year out. And here's what you want. This is what I'm giving to you. And the thing is as a Sandler fan, that is what I want. I do want that flavor because that's the flavor that I, come to Sandler films for in the Sandlerverse. I want this kind of like, you said like the kind of lovable goofball broken hero that like, you know, has some weird friends and goes through his little journey. And maybe there's a couple of toilet humor jokes along the way, but it's funny. That's what I'm signed up for. But I think the problem is that a lot of the critics and audiences, it's kind of an issue of code switching where I, I thought he was doing serious. Now he's back to this. Did he just like fall back and revert? So my example to you is this. Imagine you have your favorite meal in front of you, whether it's like a nice fish steak, maybe like a vegetable platter, whatever, and then your favorite ice cream at the end, right, for dessert. And they're both on the table in front of you. Now, most people would do their dinner and then their dessert, or maybe dessert first and then dinner. But they would take a bite of like Brussels sprouts and then a bite of vanilla ice cream and then go back for the steak. That's insane. And I think that to audiences, that's what it feels like he kind of did with his career, where he's trying to do serious, like here's the meat of what I'm actually trying to do. And then the next bite is this really salty, sweet, you know, delicious Hubie Halloween. And people are like, I I don't understand what I'm supposed to, I was expecting something different. And now you're handing me this, like, why are we going back and forth? So I think that kind of threw audiences and critics off a little bit. So when I was looking at some of the reviews online, a lot of them were like, oh, this is the same schlock he's always put up and he's just gone back to that. And it's like, well, because he knows that that works. So kind of what do you want from me, you know? That's such a good point, but it's so interesting, like, because I think if an actor doesn't take that different road, then mm-hmm. they just become pigeonholed like that that's yeah that's this actor and it's kind of like the darn if you do darned if you don't you know yeah. mm-hmm. and like I the think, will ferrell <laughs> i was actually thinking mm. more sean william scott but you know Stif- yes stifler's gonna stifler all over the place um i i will say that sandler is getting a lot more attention for his more serious roles there was uncut gems uh there was hustle uh and he's come a long way in that road from you know the days of like punch drunk love which i remember you know we saw that which is like what the hell is this like that's and the wedding singer well the wedding singer was still like more a rom-com kind of thing but at least you know with punch drunk love it was meant to be you know a serious movie it was just hard to take him seriously in it that's just me that's just me but let's get to the breakdown of this film and we have to start with hubie halloween himself adam sandler so carrie i'm gonna start with you what was your take on hubie oh my gosh he was so great and like just from the 
like his first scene, you know, riding his bike with his canister of, um, I want to call it like the go-go gadget canister. (laughs) Yes. Like that, that thing. Think about that. That's exactly right. Yeah. Like, like he MacGyvered that thing so well that, you know, it could save the world. Um, and, and did (laughs) spoiler alert. Um, Oh, he's, he is just, I think Adam Sandler just is so darn charming in any of his roles. Like, I mean, I'll defend him in, in any one of the movies. Greg. Okay. Just cause she brought it up. I have to list all the go-go gadgets that he has in the soup thermos. Cause it, it, it sounds mean. I love it. Every time he's able to vacuum up eggs, vacuum up glass, acts as a telescope, acts as a shovel. It's a safety umbrella. It's an electric screwdriver. It's a flashlight inhaler, grease paint applicator, retractable yo-yo rope, megaphone, grapple gun, soup, which includes cheese, broccoli, split pea and chicken noodle, along with a one sauce and a blender to mix it all up. A mace canister, a flare gun and a hair dryer, as well as a soup dispenser. So like, such a fantastic idea like as a guy who is a big batman and james bond fan i love a good gadget i'm like this is the best it's like the swiss army knife of gadgets it's anything you want it to be it's the sonic screwdriver but funny so i absolutely love this hubie himself is such a lovable guy but i have a fan theory about what's going on here because in the film everybody hates hubie like he's riding around on his bike and people throw more increasingly violent things at him at first it's just eggs and pumpkins then it's like flaming bags of like i'm assuming dog poop later on they're throwing cinder blocks tubas and flaming spears at him the only rational explanation i can think of for why people behave so poorly and violently towards such a nice lovable guy he is so nice that he sees there's a long line and he prints out a word search for the kids to enjoy so they don't get bored waiting in line. And the librarian's like, I'm not doing that. It just dumps it in the trash, <laughs> which made me laugh so hard. I think, guys, stick with me on this. I think Hubie Halloween is a horcrux, just like Harry Potter. I think the reason the Dursleys treated Harry Potter so bad is because he's a horcrux. And I think Hubie must be Voldemort's hidden eighth horcrux. I love that theory. I am... I am so in awe of that theory. <laughs> big, big ups. You, you don't even understand how big a Potterhead Carrie is. I am like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> there is a display. That's and that's going to be the sequel, Hubie Horcrux. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. I could see it. I could see it. Fantastic accents and where to find them. Okay. Dear uh, Adam Sandler, right. <laughs> please make it so. <laughs> and please, please, please use your connection via Weird Al and just get Daniel Radcliffe to just do a two-second cameo. Just like, what? And then he just leaves. Just do it. Just do it. Um, I will say, and I had to bring the party down on this one. I mean, Hubie himself as a character, you're right. He's lovable. You know, he's a little on the simple side, yes, but, you know, you're right. The, the, this is a lot of the different characters uh, from previous movies. And I'm going to have to bring this up again like I did in Little Nicky. I wish the accent that he used through this film was a little more understandable because there were times as we're watching this and we're watching it on a TV with fairly decent speakers. I'm like, what the f*** is he saying? Okay, but I do <laughs> I do have to defend the reason for that. And it was because Hubie was so picked on his entire life and the mm-hmm. only time that he ever um stood up for himself or would you know come back with a comeback would be under his breath so i think it was so important that he kind of 
mumbled and kind of was very soft spoken because again, you're, you're, you're dealing with now an adult who is still very childlike Mm -hmm. and kind of never grew up because I don't know. I, I mean, he was just so kicked down his entire life. So, um, he didn't have the confidence to raise his voice. Oh, the con- and I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet it's a vicious cycle where, like Carrie said, it's he doesn't have confidence. But also by talking that way, I think that also is maybe one of the reasons why the people treat him so poorly. Like, oh, Hubie's just always muttering. He's a weirdo. Let's just treat him bad. You know, kind of like the typical bully thing, like find any little flaw and pick on it. So I'm willing to bet that that's probably one of the reasons why he's a target of this town is because of the way he's... He acts, he speaks, and how he's a bit of a coward. So, yeah, I think it's a nice, vicious cycle. I will say that, you know, the scene where he's trying to tell Violet how much she likes her and wants to ask her out kind of thing, that's where the accent really comes into play very well. I'll, I'll give him that. Um, I mean, at least with little Nikki, they explained it by being hit in the, you know, in, in the face with a shovel a few times. <laughs> I mean, maybe he was hit with a shovel, in, you know, in previous, you know, before the movie actually started. And that's how he got so good at ducking things on his bike. But well, he also flipped over a car and, uh, you know, numerous bad things that happened to him. So, yes. Remember, yeah. kids, wear a bike helmet. <laughs> this movie Always. this movie is proof hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds our family now has three pairs of raycon earbuds around the house and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price and yes she loves them now if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of raycons or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, 
you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Uh, let's move on, though, to Julie Bowen, who played Violet, Val- Violet Valentine. The fifth time in Sandler movies where the love interest has the initials VV. So let's go through the list on that one here. In Billy Madison, there was Veronica Vaughn. In Happy Gilmore, there was Virginia Bennett. In The Waterboy, there was Vicky Vaincourt. And in Little Nicky, there was Valerie Varane. Now we have Violet Valentine. And I have no idea where the VV actually comes from. It just seems to be you know, almost like a, a writing signature. But Greg, I, w- I want to go to you on this one. How was Julie Bowen for you? I liked her a lot. Um, I forget which one she was in before. I think she previously appeared in the Happy Gilmore one. I think she's the same actress from there. But um, I, I, I enjoyed her character. I wish we had her a little bit more. I feel like the only fault I have with this movie in general is that it has a lot of different storylines. It kind of juggles between. And I feel like we don't check in regularly throughout. I feel like it kind of focuses heavily on one or two and then it leaves on one or two on the sidelines. And hers is one I kind of felt was sidelined, definitely at least for the third act of the film. And I mean, she kind of does get benched where like he just tells her, go home, lock your doors. You're done with this movie. You can just watch me in the news later, you know, (laughs) essentially. But I, I enjoyed her character. She was, you know, she played the sweet and understanding um, love interest character well. I just, I felt like I needed a little bit more explanation for their relationship prior. Because, of course, he pines for her in the yearbook as she hit the high school hat trick of, like, most liked, you know, prettiest girl or most talented or whatever it was. But we don't get any sense that she even knew who he was back then. So I would have liked maybe like some kind of a picture in there of like they're in the chess club together or something. But in terms of the actress's performance, yeah, I, I buy her and I, I think she's a fine, did a fine job with the role considering how little it was. I will say that her personality really shone through in this and made Violet, you know, really, really likable. The, the one comparable that really came to mind as I was watching this and watching her in it, uh, if we go back to Superman three, the one with Richard Pryor, she reminds. Can we not? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but for this reference, we need to go back to that one. Although it's still Fine. better than Superman four, so we're safe yeah. there. Um, but Annette O'Toole, who played Lana Lang in that one, when you know Clark goes back to Smallville, and there was this girl that you know clearly he liked back in the day, kind of thing, but she'd married like the town douche kind of thing because he was like the you know similar to the jock kind of character, you know. But now they're you know she's divorced, and you know Clark. Clark's character, of course, is a little on the, you know, clumsy, goofy side kind of thing. And, you know, it's, that's very endearing to her in him because she knows that he's a good guy. There's a lot of, you know, Annette O'Toole's Lana Lang from Superman 3 in Julie Bowen. And I have no clue if that was at all referenced for her research for the character or how she prepared for it. But I really like what she brought to it. And it, it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't anything overt it was just a general sense of niceness and pleasantry especially considering that everyone else in the town is a complete douchebag you know mm-hmm. she's she's like you know her and hubie are like the, the the two nice people but carrie your thoughts on violet valentine well absolutely i mean i could see how she was voted you know the the sweetest kindest 
girl in high school. And um, yeah, maybe at the time she didn't like Hubie just wasn't on her radar because she had the with the I don't know, the football star like fiance or Sergeant they wound Steve. up getting yep. married. Um, but I think what was missing was I think just more of the dynamic between her and Kevin James character. Like you kind of just know that, well, they they're divorced, but there was really no like I don't know, like no establishment of their relationship mm-hmm. in present day. Um but I thought she was adorable and the fact that, you know, she would kind of get just kind of schoolgirl crush esque whenever she would see Hubie, right? So it was kind of like it was you know, you're you're like, okay, get together already because <laughs> clearly you both, you know, there's something there. You like each other. And I just have to say that I absolutely love that. Her, her children, her daughter especially, you know, was so kind and accepting to Hubie when all the other kids in the school were making fun of him. And she's like, you know, she's just so accepting. And I, I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it is good that, you know, the kids were raised clearly by her because that mm-hmm. way they, you know, they end up being good people. Unlike Sergeant Steve. <laughs> As played by Kevin James. Um, so since we're talking about Kevin James, let's get to him here. Um, full kudos to you know going full beard on this one here. I'm slightly jealous of the size of the beard that he got to have in this and one. And the right. mullet. Uh, not, not jealous <laughs> of the mullet, jealous of the beard, because that's how you yep. store food for later. That's, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but, you know, there was something actually somewhat understated about this. Like... This is the kind of role where if Chris Farley were alive, this is the role that he would definitely be playing. And you could see, you could almost picture Chris Farley with the beard and the mullet doing the hand movements every time he's Mm -hmm. talking. And we didn't get that out of Kevin James. And I think I liked it better because, you know, for someone to to have the the story plot that Violet and Steve were at one time married, um... It made sense to a point, and, you know, this is where Steve is now post-divorce, and Violet is, you know, still doing well with the kids. I like the fact that Kevin James's, you know, at least portrayal of him was, you know, I could give two and that's about it. Uh, But, Greg, how was Kevin James as uh, Sergeant Steve Downey for you? So, I know it's not the same as the police, but I do have previous work with code enforcement or code compliance in the city that I work in, where people call about minor things like, oh, this person left their Halloween decorations up and it's still December. Or, you know, these people, you know, have a rotting pumpkin on their front porch, things like that. So, I get where he's coming from with like uh, this guy, he's always complaining about something and it's always nothing. I've literally had that. I can go on talking about actual real life examples for three hours on this podcast, but we don't have that time. All I will say is that from my personal experience, Kevin James was nailing this character. He is one of my favorite characters in this film just because he's like, Yubi, I know it's I know it's nothing and you're not going to listen to me tell you that it's nothing. So I'm just going, you know what? Sure. It, it, imaginary unit, the AUU. Yeah, sure. Uh, you just take your notes, put it in the trash. We'll find it for you. 
you know, and it's, I was like, yep, I so wish, oh man, I would have done that to so many people in real life if I could have, just because of all the little complaints that we get that are like, I told you before, that's not against the code. It's, it's actually perfectly legal to park your, your, your car in front of someone else's mailbox. It's a real jerk move, but it's legal. So what do you want me to do here? So from my experience, I think he nailed it. I do, as kind of you guys have both said, wish we had more of the development of him and, um, Oh, what's her? What's the woman's name again? I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the character. Uh, Vi- Violet Valentine. Violet, thank you. I was going to say Vivian, but no, that wasn't it. Violet. I wish, yeah, I had more backstory for what their relationship was like, why it ended, and where they at now. Because I mean, also, it's a Kevin James character. So is he eating a lot just because it's Kevin James, or is it because he's depressed because of the post divorce? How recent is this divorce? You know, does he get any? time with the kids or not like it is little things that you would like but at the same time it's kind of a comedy movie so i guess we don't need all that but it would have been nice to get at least a tiniest little peek peek more there so from the personal side i wish i had more from the professional side nailed it okay you do realize that for halloween you now have to dress up as sergeant steve downey and go to work and and create those kind of arguments as you're dealing with all of that actually i'd be happy to do that i've even been growing up my beard just because my um my five-month-old son, he likes to grab it as we're like, you know, doing like playtime. So uh, that's a fun toy for him. And I think <laughs> if I grow it even better, it's even more fun. So yeah, if I if I can get the costume together, I will. See, that's the problem with when you have the long beard because five-month-olds, six-month-olds, they are surprisingly strong when they grab hold of yes. the facial hair and they start mm-hmm. moving you like a Muppet. Like it's... <laughs> <laughs> that was my motivation to cut my hair when we had kids. <laughs> yeah, our, our kids are older now, so I can keep the long beard. But yes. Carrie, how was Kevin James for you? Oh my God. He's, you know what? I am a big Kevin James fan to begin with. And I thought he was so perfect in this role. Um I mean, his mullet was on point for sure. And you know what? Just like the everything, like watching, you know, (laughs) watching little YouTube videos from his police car, his police cruiser when he clearly should be working. Um, Yeah, you know, like I I thought, um, I actually think he could have been more of a douche to Hubie, but I think there was a, there was a, a spark of kindness there. You know, like he gave him that title. Um, the AUU. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he he wanted Hubie to feel, I don't know, like important. And I think that there was, a, like I said, a spark of kindness there. Um, so maybe, I don't know, maybe Violet did rub off on him when they were married. I don't know. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking that because when you think about it, as, as much as Steve is annoyed at Hubie, he's never really mean to him. Mm-hmm. He's not pulling pranks on him. He's not, he's giving him something to do in order to feel important and not just screaming at him and throwing him out of the building. It's, it's quite possible that, you know, Violet did rub off on him and, in it'd be interesting to, you know, had they had a chance to explore that a little bit more, but then we would have had a two and a half, three hour Adam Sandler film. And I don't know if I can do with that. Um, I was, I, I had to have to put this out there though. Sergeant Steve Downey is what happens when Paul Blart goes downhill, <laughs> <laughs> but moving on, 
we need to talk about Mr. Walter Lambert as played by Steve Buscemi. And Happy I'm, squee. I was, and I was just going to say, I'm just going to get out of the way and let Carrie the lead on this one because I yep. know how much she loves Steve Buscemi. I'll just take the mic from here. Um, Oh my God. I... <laughs> I she love... She pushed Jason down to get to the mic. It was crazy, guys. <laughs> help me! Help me! She's beating me with my own microphone so she can talk about <laughs> Steve Buscemi. Oh. Now we see the violence and hurt in the system. <laughs> <laughs> she steps into the mic. Hello, fellow youths. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boarding up his windows. Oh, my God. If you hear any sounds of self-harm, just turn the other cheek and yep. walk away. Yep. Love it. In fact, it's better if you don't come by. Oh, love. <laughs> it, it is true. And, I, and Greg, I have to point out that I love the fact that you pulled out a 30 Rock reference here. Um, mm-hmm. It's for all of the serious movies that Steve Buscemi has done. And he's done some great, great serious film work. I love when Steve Buscemi gets to play. I love mm-hmm. when he gets to be this subtle, you know, subdued straight you know the 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 straight man and you know when everyone else is crazy around him Buscemi has such good comedic timing and such you know uh you know an unimposing you know a figure on screen that the comedy just you know makes it, it's more funny that way like Buscemi is com is comedy gold so anytime he's on I don't care whose film it is it's Buscemi's film now for me uh mm-hmm. and and him as the as the we're not quite sure if he's an actual lycanthrope or not, but it could be, could possibly be. I love the fact that it's just, it's played for laughs and not like this, this complete, oh, this is the actual bad guy. Buscemi was just so much fun. But Greg, how was Walter Lambert for you? Oh, I, I agree with what you both said. Yes, Buscemi is the best. I mean, he anything that he's in, yeah, he steals the show. Airheads, he steals the show. Um, and Carrie, I don't know if you're aware of this movie, there's another Steve Buscemi Halloween film. And if you don't know it, you need to put on your radar, Monster House. Hmm. Okay. Monster House is an animated one, like a computer animated one from like 2009, I think it is. Steve Buscemi plays the angry old man who owns a haunted house. And I won't spoil anything, but the it's a really fun film. But the end of that will make you cry. <gasps> and it, or at least if you have a heart. It will make you cry because it is the sweetest, saddest thing. I can't watch it every year just because it would it would destroy me emotionally. But it is such a good movie. I highly recommend if you haven't seen that one. This is just me recommending Halloween films this entire time. Noted. Noted. Thank you for that. Monster uh, House. It's yeah. a fun one. But like I said, that ending will hit you hard. So have tissues ready. Um <laughs> Which, but, and I just looked it up, it does not qualify for this podcast, so we'll have to watch it on our own time. Do do it, though. Honestly, I do that one. Um, but I, the one thing I really did like about this movie that honestly did catch me was um, all the breadcrumbs that they're leaving that he's a werewolf. You know, all the little things about it. And at the end of the day, it's like, I'm thinking to myself, it's a movie. It could really be a werewolf, so why not? And like... The movie's like, no, of course he's not a werewolf. Are you insane? He's just a person who thinks he is. It's like, of course he's just a person who thinks he is. And of course he just glued fur into his hands because he wants to convince himself further that he is a werewolf. I died laughing when I realized at the end how stupid I was for thinking he actually was a werewolf. But I just love how much the movie sets it up. 
And this entire film, one of the strengths I think it does do is that it feels very much like at least some of the storylines, like a campfire story. You know, like the whole, it starts off with the whole, oh, there was an insane asylum and an inmate inmate broke loose and he's in town. And there's only one cop in town and that's the guy who put him away 30 years ago kind of thing. So I like those little breadcrumbs they leave throughout and the little fun side stories. This is probably one of my favorite ones. It's the side bit of um, Mr. Lambert. And I just have to put out one thing. When Hubie is investigating the tombstone for Lambert and it says like, oh, 1666 to blank. And he goes, there's no, there's no death date. That means he never died. Or it means he died and didn't have the money to pay for the engraving. Or it means that he died in another town. Or it means, you know, it's kind of one of those could have meant a million things. Doesn't mean that he's an immortal who just has been hanging around since, you know, George Washington days. Also, I would still watch that movie where an immortal werewolf is hanging around since the George Washington days. I would watch Uh, that You want to go watch the Underworld series, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Uh but it, it is true that Buscemi's Walter is a is, is a really good red herring for mm-hmm. you know who's actually doing the everything in this film. Just as Rob Schneider is a red herring as Richie Hartman, the actual escaped convict that Kevin James put away. Um, it's it's interesting that when you have a film like this and there's there's something afoot that Hubie has to figure it out, and you have not one but two really good red herrings in this one, you know, and the fact that Rob Schneider is, you know, he's only in there a little bit, and again, it's it's subtle Rob Schneider. Like I mm-hmm. actually didn't mind Rob Schneider in The Ridiculous Six. I really didn't mind him in here. In fact, I think he's actually better here as Richie Hartman than he was in The Ridiculous Six. Uh, but Greg, to you. Richie Hartman, uh, better red herring or better comedic character? Better red herring in in this case, I think. Yeah, you know, I mean, like you said, he was kind of understated. I don't remember anything he really does in the film other than, oh, I was here to pick up my old friend who who escaped from the convict uh, or the asylum. And then he has some joke where he's like handcuffed on the bench with Steve Buscemi and goes, oh, I paid myself. Ha ha ha. And then like, that's it. Like, that's all his character arc is. And it, it was okay, but... I wish they maybe gave him a bit more than just standing awkwardly around in a pig mask as the big red herring. But I still think it sold well, you know, the idea of building up towards his expected result and then turning the tables on us at the end and making the audience kind of feel like, oh, we're being silly. We thought it was this and it's that. So I, I enjoyed the direction they took with it because I think if they made him another comedic force in this film, it might have been too much frosting on the cake. Mm. I can see that, actually. I can see... Is, is it weird that Rob Schneider had the perfect level of restraint? Mm-hmm. I never thought I'd say those words, but here and we are. It also are. makes sense because if you've been going to get mental health treatments for a while, maybe they taught you how to self-control, especially if you're in there in a place that you would stay long-term. So I think that kind of also fits the character of, like, I'm just subdued because if I tap into my emotions, I might make choices that I would not benefit from later. Carrie, for you, Rob Schneider. Hmm. I mean, I agree. I, I felt like maybe there were some outtakes that I was missing something more with his character. Like when he was first introduced, I, I had completely forgotten the beginning scene where he had made his escape. So I, I like... How when do you he, forget about the Jello hot dog well, man? You know, when he showed up, I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? You know? Yeah. <laughs> but um I, I again it it very much felt like there was definitely something missing. You know? Um I don't know. 
I mean, he was okay. Like, again, I was, I was, I, I almost kind of feel like it was, it was pivotal to, I don't know, give, um, uh, there's a word, uh, I've, I've completely gone blank, but basically, I don't know, to, to give like a, a, a backstory or a, um, there's a word, you know, he didn't cause the crime because he, he has a, an alibi. Mm-hmm. There we go. Um, he was almost kind of like the alibi for Buscemi's character or vice versa. Yeah. So it's like, no, that like it can't be either of these two. So who is it? Who is, um, you know, torturing the, the bullies out there? It, it was a surprising layer of depth to the to the you know quote unquote who done it aspect of the, of the of Hubie Halloween. Um, mm-hmm. Another person that it could have been was Mr. Landolfa as played by Ray Liotta, and I'm just wondering how many pictures Adam Sandler has of, of Ray Liotta in order to be able to get him to be in this picture. But here's the interesting thing: like I love the fact that when you have someone with a filmography like Ray Liotta. To allow them to be able to come in and just let them play. Mm-hmm. Just just let them play. And Ray Liotta looked like he was having a ton of fun with this. You know, like, to go from Casino, right? And, and uh, sorry, um, Goodfellas. And then to be in Hubie Halloween, right? There's, there's a difference in those characters, that's for sure. Um, but Ray Liotta, to you, Gary... Like I, I know you love your, your 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 mafia movies and you know you know basically anything that Ray Liotta was in beforehand, but to see him being able to just kind of cut loose and have fun with this. Oh, it was so much fun. I mean, he was the perfect bully to Hubie. Like, I mean, he was he was authoritative and he was just plain mean. You know, like even the scene at his father's funeral where he shoves Hubie into the mm. grave. Like, come on, that's and and Mama was mad. Like mm-hmm. you you could just tell he was he was gonna get a lashing or two after the funeral. I will say when we did our rewatch last night, the scene where, you know, when that happens, he's pushing the grave and then like the, the guy's starting to shovel there's like, I'm still down here. Oh, the dead speak and then the other guy falls in. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest laugh of that night for Carrie. Uh <laughs> like, like his mom he's upset, like his his mom's upset justifiably because she just buried her husband and this dude just pushed some guy onto her husband's dead corpse and he goes, Mom, but he's an idiot, he's an imbecile, like he deserves this. Like so not an excuse, but it's made me laugh so hard. I I have an interesting take on Ray Liotta's character, and it's not that I don't like Ray Liotta as Mr. Landolfa, but I think it could have been better. And it could have been mm. better with the cast on hand. So hear me out on this one here. If I had the chance to redo Hubie Halloween, I wouldn't change much. But I would. It's already near perfect. Got you. Go ahead. But I would. It's near. It's near perfect for what it is. I will give you that. But I would swap actors in two different roles. Right now, you have Ray Liotta playing Mister Landolfa, and you have Michael Chiklis playing mm-hmm. Father Dave. Mm-hmm. I would swap the two. Yes, I agree. 100%. I think. I think Michael Chiklis would have been a better bully towards Hubie Halloween as opposed to, sorry, you know, Hubie Dubois. Um, and I think Ray Liotta would maybe would have been a better Father Dave than Michael Chiklis was. 
Yeah, especially with that line he gives to Hubie, like, if you get dirt on my funeral shoes again, I will kill you. Mm-hmm. That uh, he gives, I think that coming from Ray Liotta would have had much more oomph to it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And especially like, yeah. I mean, I'm not asking for a second Hubie Halloween film, but. He was just so good in the deli scene, though. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would have. Uh... I wouldn't change a thing. It's only those two actors, and I think I would. That's all I would do is just swap their roles. I, I love them both in this film. I would just swap. But also, those roles. it could ease, it could have been the priest in the deli scene, so it's still Ray Liotta. So that's fine. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it didn't have to necessarily be Mr. Landolfa. It just had to be Ray Liotta in that scene, but swap their roles. I think Ray Liotta would definitely would have made a better Father Dave. Um, moving on to the Hennessys, Tim Meadows and Maya Rudolph. Greg, I know, I know you would love these two. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, th- I mean, they were some of my favorites on SNL back when I was watching that. Um, anything, especially Maya Rudolph. I don't know what it is, but that woman just has a direct line to my funny bone, and I, I, it's a joy to see her almost every time, except for Up and Away or Way We Go. <laughs> I mean, but <laughs> because thank you for reminding me of that. So now her her spotless record is tainted. But you're, um, you're welcome, and I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, but uh, no, just always a joy to see and. Uh, I just, I, I love her, her sass towards Tim Meadows. He's like, Lord and I were watching this and as like Tim Meadows is like doing his character, she's like, that's kind of like you, you would do like some weird thing that like, you think is a joke. And like, I don't realize it's a joke at first. And I just think that you're weird for, it, and I call you out. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly it. So pretty much, I think I maybe identify with this, these characters too much because it's kind of close to home. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't go sucking on plastic fingers in front of her trying to say like, yeah, does that do it for you? But I would be the kind of like, you know, uh, make some kind of a weird joke or um, have some kind of a strange costume and be like, hey, do you get it? And she's like, you're an idiot. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have an interesting take on these two. And that, you know, as far as their their broken marriage goes. But I, A, you're right. Anytime Tim Meadows and my Rudolph are on screen together, it works out well. Um, but it's an interesting take with, with that. These two are so broken that they, they can't get each other off but yet they get off on being mean to each other. It's mm-hmm. it's like it's a, it's a very weird dynamic. They're they're finding pleasure where they can't find pleasure. Right? They they're not happy together. They're only happy, you know, ruining other people's days, you know, the the whole misery loves company thing. So in a way, you know, the Hennessy's make sense in that very broken marriage and and I think it's played well enough here. But carry to you, the Hennessy's, uh Tim Meadows and Maya Rudolph. Wow, I, I didn't take the time to like really analyze the relationship, but um, I did want to raise the point where, you know, she sends him off to like investigate what who was standing in the middle of the road and, you know, and then pulls out her phone and just starts checking mm-hmm. right, emails. Right. It's like <laughs> she doesn't care that, you know, it could be an axe murderer. She doesn't know, but she's, you know, <laughs> so disinterested. Um yeah, I. You know what? They're they're just a joy to watch. Like it was just so, it was so fun to kind of see like how you could just tell they were probably like the popular couple in high school, and you know maybe bonded together or dr- drawn together from how many pranks they've pulled on Hubie. Like you know, I, I don't know. It it was. It was, it was fun. They were fun to watch. 
I'll tell you this. The one way you can tell visually, which I really do like about this movie, that they have a broken marriage, is their costumes. His costume is whatever. It's a headless guy costume, sure. Her costume is the Bride of Frankenstein. I have never heard of a woman wanting to dress as the Bride of Frankenstein unless she thought there was a good chance there would be a Frankenstein to be her accompaniment. It seems weird to have, like, essentially the Raggedy Ann and not expect there to be a Raggedy Andy, if you get that analogy as well. So I think the fact that they show her as half of a couple and him as something else completely is also very telling visually for what the relationship is like. That's like someone dressing up as a salt shaker and the other person showing up as anything but a pepper shaker. Right. Uh, moving on. The show is human and you're like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> Moving on to Jane Squibb as Hubie's mom. And oh my God, is she not the cutest damn thing in this film? Yes. <laughs> Greg, Jane Squibb. It just, I love her. I don't know much of her previous... Um, work you know i think this is the main thing i know her from but she is so great she's so sweet she actually does uh physically remind me of one of my grandmas who i miss very much but um man i those t-shirts that's all i'm gonna say just those t-shirts she goes oh i got them from the goodwill and the only thing i wish they would have done more because hubie calls her on the first one of like boner donor. Uh, what does that mean? She goes, oh, a boner is like a kind of mistake. It's another word for mistake. And goes, oh, okay. So you donate mistakes? She goes, ah, I got it from the Goodwill. Like, I wish more people would have called her up because she has like, what is it? Like Muff's Diving School or something like that later on. It's like no one's commenting on the fact that this woman is wearing these horribly double entendre t-shirts and she's changing her outfit like eight times in the course of six hours. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like, it, it's kind of like Frank Rosatano's hats in 30 Rock. And then, then yeah. I this is the 30, the second 30 Rock reference in the actual show. Um, but yeah, you, you're, you're waiting for her to show up on screen and you're, you're looking specifically for those shirts because it was a great running gag. It's absolutely a great little thing. And then it just adds so much to her character. The fact that she would buy these, these shirts for 50 cents and probably because, well, they're 50 cent shirts. Uh, but Carrie... How was Hubie's mom for you? Oh my God. I loved her. I thought she was so, she was so funny, but unintentionally, like again with the t-shirts and just how she was so perfectly the mama bear to like, you know, be protective of Hubie and, 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 his biggest fan and biggest supporter. And she just wanted him to, you know, stand up for himself and to be popular or be accepted in the community, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and I just absolutely, I don't want to say too much, but I absolutely loved, (laughs) loved the ending. You know, I'm okay. I'm glad you brought up the ending. And Greg, you kind of touched upon this earlier as well in that there's a lot of, you know, callbacks to a lot of different horror films in this movie. I mean, the fact that the killer is really the mother, that's that's basically the the plot twist of the first Friday the 13th film. Uh, Hubie himself lives on Elm Street. The POV shot from the mask. That's that's straight up Mike Myers. The you, you called it too the 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 pumpkin mask that was on the table. Uh, that's straight out of Halloween three. Um, for as a horror movie fan, 
And I, and I don't know if I, you know, Carrie, I know you're not the biggest horror movie fan. Uh, Greg, I don't know your, your, your take on horror films, but for someone who likes the, that, that slasher era of horror films, does this movie have enough callbacks for you to be interested in? I'll, I'll tell you this. I'm not the biggest horror film fan, but I've seen like a lot of like the classics, right? That would be referenced in here, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre season, the witch, things like that. I think it's especially fun for fans to go looking for those Easter eggs. Another example of a horror film with tons of Easter eggs would be Shaun of the Dead, where they have tons of Easter eggs, like it's 4E Electronics, named after Ken 4E, the African-American actor from the original uh, Dawn of the Dead, or the Dawn of the Dead remake, I guess, that's in the mall. Um, you know, and it, it's fun to go through and be like, oh, here's a reference to this movie, here's a reference to that movie. So as much as I may not pick up every single other reference for the horror films in here, it's fun to go on those Easter egg hunts. And, you know, considering the fact that I've done... Um, a previous uh, parts on what my show, the movie date night for the um, James Bond movie fantasy draft, where I can go through and like count of the different, you know, statistics for the different James Bond films. I absolutely love the film Dino of the day, which is often considered to be one of the worst ones just because that was a 40th anniversary film. And it had a reference to every single James Bond movie prior to it. So it's fun to go through and be like, and here's this film and here's this film and here's this film. So in terms of, them loading up this with references not only to previous horror films, but also to previous Sandler films. To be like, even if you're not a horror film fan, I'm a Sandler fan. Oh, the the pea sheet's out on the line. That's clearly the water boy. You know, the Burt Reynolds poster, that's the longest yard. It's fun to look for those. So this is kind of fun that it has two different layers of Easter eggs that different types of fans, or there's a perfect Venn diagram of fans for them to go hunt down. Well, I also love too that, you know, Every Halloween, she went out of her way to decorate the the front yard and make Halloween cookies. And I think she really wanted to, she really wanted so much more for her son. She wanted maybe, you know, to to draw in the trick-or-treaters and make Halloween special for Hubie because she knew how much he enjoyed that holiday. Like, you know, she was like the perfect mom in that mm-hmm. regard that she just wanted the absolute best for her son. There is a lot of, and, and I like the, the fact that you've both kind of brought up the fact that there's a lot of, you know, callbacks to previous Sandler films. I think there's a lot uh, of Kathy Bates in Jane Squibb's uh, mother in this one here, uh, going back to, I think it was the water boy that she was, uh, uh, she was, you know, Sandler's mom mm-hmm. in that one. You see a lot of the same characteristics in his comedy films. So I have to point out, you know, is this is this film clever writing? Or is he starting to get to the point, at least on this, as far as the comedy side of things goes, more of a copy-paste kind of feel to it? I'm going to lean on the side of clever writing. I think it's, like I said, it's fun to have those little Easter eggs put in there for fans to find. And yet I think it's an evolution of a character he's working on, but then they do stuff with that character that they haven't quite done before. They put him in situations that are amusing. They have different characters interacting. So like you could, of course, argue, I have bread, I have ground beef, I have lettuce. Am I making a hamburger? Am I making a burrito or or a taco? You know, like, or just a regular sandwich, like, you know, like a... um 
like a sloppy Joe sandwich. Like you, there's a different things you can do with those ingredients and you can argue, oh, it's all the same in the end, but at the same time, this is the way it was presented on the plate. And I think that that you can say is the artistic take with it. The other thing too, is the fact that there's so many of these Easter eggs that, that we've pointed out as far as horror films and Stanley films go, it really does up the rewatchability factor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in this essence, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, and you know, would it have gotten a theatrical release? I, d- I still don't think it would have because of the deal with Netflix. But is a film like this good for Netflix because of the rewatchability factor and the hunting for Easter eggs factor? I think the message, the anti-bullying message is going to stand the test of time and be something that, you know, it, it might be a go-to um, for Halloween movie marathons, it's possible. I mean, I, you know, I, I'll I'll be the first to say, yeah, I was bullied the crap out of, you know out of in high school. Like, trust me when I say I I can empathize with the with the anti bullying message in this, mm-hmm. which is good. And I, and I do like the fact that it's a PG thirteen film. Like, I I don't have the stats on how many of Sandler's comedies are rated R because a lot of them are because of the the nature of the humor. It's almost like they they made a point of dialing this back. And I don't know if that's because there were um, a lot of actors in this that had come over from Disney shows and whatnot in order to make it a more family friendly, you know, sit around on the couch, you know, bring your kids, let them have a good silly laugh kind of thing. Because there's really nothing in here that's offensive. Like this is maybe one of Sandler's most accessible comedies. I, I have to agree there. I think that, especially if you consider going back and re-watching some of the older films, as we've it progresses as a society, some things have become less tasteful, let's say. you know, So certain words that might have been used in frequencies such as the R word or the F word, but not the F-U word, the F-A-G word mm-hmm. um, in the past. you know, Sometimes going back and watching those films, so something like, um, uh, Happy Gilmore or Billy Madison, where some of those words might have been dropped more casually. It's fun to go back and watch the film because you have the nostalgia for it, but like you're just like, oh, that's right, that part's in here. Yikes. Mm-hmm. And I think that this film, you know, like Carrie said with the uh, anti bullying message, I think that kind of makes it, even if there is something in here that we don't recognize right now as being problematic for a future generation, I think that at least gives it a stand to support itself on saying, yeah, but at least I'm anti-bullying. And yeah, I think this is very accessible. I think that if if my son was old enough to understand what the pretty pictures and moving colors are on the TV as a movie, I would show him this movie at any age. Not a problem. I don't think there's any issue with it. Well, it's kind of like when, um, remember when I, I sat down with our kids to watch Big with Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Big as I'm watching it, <laughs> as I was watching it, I'm like, I remember this movie so differently. Or mm-hmm. it was like, wow, there's a lot of smoking and, you right. know, some some sexual nature to this movie. And I'm thinking like, did I not clue into it <laughs> when I was younger? Like, but as a parent sitting down with my kids, I'm like, ooh, 
maybe this was not the best choice. Mm-hmm. So I, I will say, like, I, I recognize that Sandler has done a lot more family fare as of late with the Hotel Transylvania films. And I think that's great. I think, you know, I, you know, he's got kids, he's got a family and, you know, people mellow with age. And, and I they're think, in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah. and, but I think there is, there's a matureness to this film. You know, as silly as some of it is, that's okay. It's comedy, right? But there's mm-hmm. a matureness to this film. A matureness and almost a family-oriented writing to it. And as much as I may have crapped on this film at the start of this film, I will say that it is family fun, friendly fair. And I'd be okay because I remember too when this film came out and you're like, oh, I'm going to watch it with the kids. I'm like, you're going to watch a Sandler film with the kids. But, and I said, yes, I will. Right. <laughs> Normally you'd be like, does not compute. Like, <laughs> Yeah, like because you're, you're referencing it to a lot of the humor from his past. I think Sandler has grown up quite well. And while some of the, it, it's, it's still, you know, pee and poo humor, but it's family friendly pee and poo humor. Pee and poo humor. Wow, that is really hard to say. Do you, do you smell toast, sir? <laughs> I'm starting to question. Uh, before we get to our MVPs, though, uh, there are quite a few cameos in this film. Oh yes. So rather Please. than rather than break down each of them, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna start with you, Greg. Here, who was your favorite small part player in this film? Ben Stiller. That was so great that they had his return character from Happy Gilmore as Hal, the attendant at the insane asylum. I loved that, that they were able to swing him for this movie, even for like, they clearly had him for a half a day and he did like probably three takes, but it was such a fun, fun callback. Carrie, who's your favorite small part player in this? Hmm. Um, that's a great question that I wasn't prepared for. This, this is what happens um, when we don't talk before we record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? Uh, small part. Um, Can I give you a clue, Carrie, what the correct answer should yeah, be? Yeah, help, help me what's out the here. Of, what, think about a person who's the opposite of small. You're actually thinking of my favorite bit part Are player. Are we talking Shaq? Yeah, definitely yeah. Shaq. As DJ Aurora. I'm talking about Shaq. <laughs> of which I'm sure someday we'll talk about like Shaq Fu here and and, you know. Kazam and whatever other movies and Steel. We'll definitely talk about Steel. Oh, I'm here for real Steel. I love that film. It's such a good movie. That was Iron Man before Iron Man. Wait, are we talking real Steel with Hugh Jackman or are we talking Steel with Shaquille O'Neal? Steel with Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, you know, Greg, you know we're going to bring you back for that one. But yes. Oh, yeah, I'm here. That's Iron Man before Iron Man. Are you kidding me? Right. Like, so good. I I will say I love when people like Shaquille O'Neal, you know, you know, let their funny bone out for a day, right? Like, let them have fun. Like, mm-hmm. Shaquille is, is, is all, he's always been that outgoing, humorous persona, you know, in the sports world. And being able to see him here, just really just let himself go and allow himself to have fun with it. I love seeing that. I absolutely mm-hmm. love seeing that. I was waiting for him to put some icy hot on, but that's okay. Before we get to our MVPs, though. Twitter has spoken and our dear friend, our dear family, Alex, also known as AC official for his music remixing. And if you remember him from the monkey bone episode, chimed in on this one said, Hubie is an amazing movie. This is one of the best Sandler movies. I'd go to war for it. So since he's put it out there, Alex, thank you for that, by the way. Um, 
But before we, we get to our MVPs, let's put this out there. Is this the best Sandler movie? Oh, the best Ooh, one. That's a those great are some question. big words there, Alex. That's a big question. Um, <laughs> well, he in his defense, he says one of the best. Okay. So I so I ask both of you, and, and Carrie, going to go to you first. Is this one of the best Sandler films? Well, I have, you know, maybe an unfair personal favorite um, with The Wedding Singer. Thank God you didn't say little Nikki. So <laughs> that's second. Um, so, you know, I would say it's up there. Um, maybe like, I I do like this movie, but it's, it, it's in my top three, top five. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely not my, my number one best Adam Sandler movie, but again, it was so intriguing. His, his, characters Hubie has a, a place in my heart so it's in the top five greg what about I mean, you where where does this place as far as the sandler filmography goes i i think this definitely goes up there but it also kind of depends upon what kind of mood you're in too you know like he he has a very interesting career in which yeah like we said he's kind of done like the lovable broken you know good guy or nice guy throughout but yet he's also done a lot of things that, you know, he's had like weird little spikes throughout his career. So like if I'm into more like of a zany kind of humor, I might go with something like you don't mess with the Zohan. If I'm into something that's a bit, a little bit more serious, but still kind of funny, maybe the longest yard. So like it really depends upon where you want to go. But if I'm just asking the question, is this one of his best overall? Then, oh, absolutely. Yes. If you're asking me, is it his best? Or even if it's his top five or top 10, I would have to like seriously get out like a chart and like his entire IMDb history and like make sure I'm not missing anything because I would hate to like go through it and be like, oh, I forgot about him in uh, Mixed Nuts or I forgot about him in in Coneheads or whatever, you know. So even like his small stuff does stand out if you've seen it and you appreciate it and if you're in the mood for that. Like I might, you know, around the holiday time, be like, oh, Eight Crazy Nights is a weird film, but I still like it, and I, I think it's up there, but you ask me that maybe in June or July, I'm like, oh, and it's not going to make the top 20. So I think it really is subjective as to when you're asking that, but overall, yeah, I think this could, this would safely be in my top 15, I think I could say, for Adam Sandler films. I, I might actually put this in my top five. I'm so glad you mentioned you don't mess with the Zohan because mm-hmm. that holds the place of honor for me as my favorite Adam Sandler movie of all time. And what's crazy is that my friends had to drag me to the theaters to see that. I had no interest in seeing that. And then I went and saw it with them and I was like, I was wrong. That was a fantastic film. Thank you. I, I'm I'm not going to lie. I am sadly disappointed that that film does not qualify for this show because I would have defended that till the cows come home. Um, right. But this is, it's, as I mentioned before, it's family friendly. It came out at almost the perfect time. It is accessible. It is, there are some good laughs in this. Like I, I would be lying if I said I didn't have a good chuckle during this. I think it is a top five Sandler film it'd be interesting to go through the the full filmography and say okay is this you know is this yeah, in the I'm top looking at it right now and I think <laughs> I think I'm at least going to bump myself up to top 10 for sure yeah yeah like Sandler I think did a very very good job in this I think all involved did do a very good job you know I mean is it a movie that I'm going to go you know go run to every Halloween 
maybe maybe not but i wouldn't be upset if it was on um and that's when carrie has the remote control <laughs> every halloween i can I, <laughs> I can see it now but it is now time so greg i'm gonna ask you first who is mm-hmm. your mvp of hubie halloween Jason, thank you for asking. My MVP for Hubie Halloween is none other than Vivian Nixon, the DJ voice of DJ Aurora. I think that she fits the mood so perfectly every single time we check in. I love her voice. And yeah, it's a a funny reveal when it's like, oh, it's Shaq doing this voice. Like, that's ridiculous. But I could listen to her voice like on repeat if i could just get the splices of just those parts and just hear them i'd be happy to have that on my phone it's just a random audio track that comes up fantastic i love her that's when you need the 5.1 mix and you can just isolate all the dialogue and just take right. that part out yeah, that, that's what we'll go with carrie who is your mvp of hubie halloween I've got to go with Wolfman, Steve Buscemi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you saw that one coming. Like from a mile, mile away. away. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, I, I would not be surprised if she got Buscemi's face tattooed on her shoulder. Maybe not from this film, but she's just sitting there shaking her head going, no, that's never going to happen. Just, <laughs> no, just, it wouldn't be from this film. It would be either Mr. Pink or whatever his name was, like a greased up kind of like oil rig guy from uh, Armageddon. Yeah, see, I, I could see her getting the Reservoir Dogs version. That yep. that would make sense. Uh, for me, my MVP has to go to Jane Squibb as Hubie's mom. Uh, absolutely loved her in this. Uh, like Even when it was revealed that she was the, the mastermind behind, you know, like kidnapping everyone and about to burn them at the stake kind of thing, there was still just a sweetness about her that you just could not help but laughing. Buscemi... And Hubie's Thermos got my honorable mentions for MVP in this one. Greg, thank you so much for coming back on the show, joining us to talk about Hubie Halloween. Please let us know about all the podcasts that you are on and where we can find them. So many of them. Um, First of all, Lauren and I, uh, we have our podcast movie date night. We have a pretty good back catalog. We do plan to pick that back up, just still getting used to baby. So um, we will come back just bear with us but you can find us at movie date night on facebook and twitter and we do have previous episodes about um arsenic and old lace and monster house i believe so go listen to those go check them out um we also have friday's game nights where we share about uh fun ways to have board game get togethers so like if you want something for like how to have a fun spooky halloween board game theme you know we talk about like how to set the right mood with like candles and different foods you can do like uh bacon wrapped hot dogs uh for mummies uh, things like that. So kind of fun there. Um, that's at Game Friday. Then, of course, I'm also part of Moral Combat, where my friends and I get together and we do um, tournament-style arguments about stuff. Jason, you've been on there before with us, uh, I believe a couple times. It has um, been a couple times, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's uh, at Moral Combat. And then I also am part of the um, the podcast, the spinoff one from there with my friend David called Flops where we go through weird, insane laws from around the world and throughout history, and we talk about how could this law have possibly been made into reality, such as in California, it is illegal to tie up your alligator to a uh, fire hydrant. Don't know why you'd have an alligator in California, much less tied up to a fire hydrant, so surely that must have happened. So that's um, at uh, Flopscast. I'm just trying to picture... The event that led to that law being made now. And, and, and in our minds, 
it's usually some mayor's son was like, Daddy, I want to take up, you know, <laughs> that's kind of like the character where his default to. We came up with a name for him recently. I forget what the name is. Like, I think it's like Clarence or something. We're like, well, just shorthand this is like, so Clarence comes in and says, Oh, I can just picture that too. It's like, Dad, I don't want a puppy. Your puppy sucks. I want an alligator. The alligator will eat the puppy that you bought me. Buy me a better pet next time. And I'm taking him for a walk. One, <laughs> one that actually, um, we almost were guilty of, uh, funny enough, is in Sedona, Arizona, which is where Lauren and I did our honeymoon. Apparently, it is illegal to lie about your astrological sign. What? So if someone comes up and says, hey, hey, sexy, you a Gemini? You're like, no, I'm a Taurus. Thanks. Bye. You could you could get fined for that. I am fascinated, scared, and curious all at the same time. Uh, so, like, once again, Clarence was like, there's way too many Libras in this town. What's going on? Like, <laughs> hey, 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 hey. As, as a Libra, and I'm not, I'm not. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> apparently, I'm not allowed to go to that town. Apparently. Greg, thank you so much for this. And, and, and anytime you want to come back on the show, you are more than welcome to. And, and Tell I will, me when you're ready to talk some steel. Oh, anytime. I will make sure that that well, gets Well, does that qualify? Up. Do you know? I'm pretty damn skippy. It does. <laughs> it's Shaquille in a superhero film. As I recall, it actually might be one of the lowest rated uh, superhero films of all time. Why was that not part of the one you made me watch then for that um, that countdown for superhero films that we did? I'm, I'm just trying to help people learn about Electra. No, you I'm, need to do round two of that or whatever it is because that was fun. Oh, don't if worry. If you guys haven't listened to that episode, go back to where we did ranking bad superhero episodes on uh, It's Not That Bad. It was fantastic. Oh, there, there will be more grading on the curves, and trust me, I'll be getting a call curve, for that one. Yes. It, yeah. Carrie, as well, thank you so much. You are so lovely. Greg, yeah, you're lovely too. And to the listeners, yeah, you guys are lovely yeah, as yeah. well. <laughs> now, you guys know the drill. If there is a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or just bad enough that there is no way in hell that we can find anything good to say about it, hit us up on Twitter at NotThatBadCast and we will watch it. We will dissect it and we will find the good things to say because we are looking for those A grades in B movies. Until next time, Greg, thank you so much. Again, Carrie, lovely as always. This is Jason. This is It's Not That Bad. We'll catch you next time. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.